ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Bold and beautiful Yorker by Joel Garner. Strikes again and vessels bold, clean as a whistle. For a test batter in the 70s and 80s, there weren't many things more frightening than being in the firing line of a West Indian fast bowler or more frustrating than bowling your best ball at Sir Viv Richards and watching him hook it away regardless. These days, it's a different story for West Indies cricket. They've lost 10 of their last 11 series against Australia and drawn one. They're back on Australian shores for a two-test series with an inexperienced lineup. Seven members of their touring squad are uncapped as players in the Caribbean shift their focus to T20 cricket. So what can we expect from this young West Indian lineup? And what does this say about the future of test cricket around the world? I'm Poppy Penny and this is ABC Sport Daily. Jeff Lemon is a cricket writer with The Guardian, commentator with the ABC and host of the Final Word podcast. Jeff, this Australia-West Indies series has almost been billed in Australia as a way for the Aussies to get their lineup sorted against an opposition that might be in a different class, but it wasn't always that way. Can you tell me about the dominance of the West Indies Evolve, the team who were feared by everyone? Yeah, it's a story that unfortunately we keep on telling with this tinge of regret um, every time West Indies arrive, given that they were here last summer as well. That's it. Great catch, Kerry. The Aussies are wrapped it up. They win this test and they win the series 2-0. There's always this sort of sense of mourning of, of what a great team that West Indies had. I mean, there were some great West Indies teams in the 1950s and 1960s and then from the mid-1970s, they evolve into this this fast bowling, uh, completely dominant side, you know, 16 test wins in a row at one point. Uh, they have Clive Lloyd and Viv Richards and uh, Desmond Haynes and Gordon Greenwich and players like that um, smashing runs with the bat. Vivian Richards, the master batsman. And then they've got that battery of fast bowlers that just kept coming out of that part of the world. Michael Holding, Colin Croft, Joel Garner. Malcolm Marshall, um, and on and on it went. Patrick Patterson and Sylvester Clark, some of the fastest and most terrifying bowlers on the planet. They forced changes to the laws to reduce the number of short balls you were allowed to bowl in and over um, because of the, the bouncer of barrage that they would unleash on opposition teams. That's dangerous. That's hit him a very nasty blow. They were just the best side in the world for 20 years between the mid-70s and the mid-90s. The talent in that team was immense, but the generation that came next kind of couldn't live up to the hype. And you touch on the fact that their dominance sort of ended in that mid-90s period. How did things go so wrong for the West Indies after their 1995 loss to the Aussies? Things did change quickly. Um, there was a classic series in 1999 when Australia went to the Caribbean, you know, one of the great innings from Brian Lara and that series ends up being two all. Um. has won the match for the West Indies. The West Indies team run onto the oval and one of the great results in test match history. But that's really the last hurrah. They come to Australia in 2000, 2001 and get annihilated 5-0 and have rarely been, well, certainly never able to achieve that sort of dominance again. And uh, people have spent a lot of time and a lot of effort trying to work out 
exactly what it was um, and, and why that decline took place. It's a nebulous kind of thing. I, I think you're looking at big social and cultural changes. You've got a, a series of islands that are not actually one nation, but they're playing together as a, a single cricket team. They're, they're so heavily influenced by British colonialism and then by a reaction against that, a rejection of that. And so those teams of the 70s and 80s were inspired by wanting to stick it up the English and destroy England on the cricket field and, and show them that they didn't need that influence in their part of the world anymore. It's in the air, Benjamin down there for it. The match is over, the West Indies have won. England all out for 46. But then that region is so strongly influenced by US culture, US sports and, and music and celebrity. Um, so, you know, a lot of that younger, the, those generations since have been playing basketball and been playing football and following the Premier League more than following cricket. And so I think it's just a, a waning interest in the sport in general in that part of the world. There's still plenty of people from older generations who, who love their cricket over there and are passionate about it. But it seems that it doesn't have the same saturation amongst younger generations. And in particular, the test format doesn't really sort of grab the younger generation. The T20 format, and I guess white ball cricket more generally, probably has more of that appeal. And as a result, they seem to have narrowed their focus on white ball cricket, and in particular, the T20 format. Former skipper Jason Holder has opted out of this series against Australia to focus on the T20 World Cup to be held in the Americas later this year. This doesn't exactly set an example for the next generation of test cricketers in the West Indies, does it? Well, I think Jason Holder specifically has um, done his service. The bowler of the series, perhaps the player of the series, Jason Holder. Uh, he captained the West Indies test team as a very young man, carried a large burden, uh, went through a, a lot of pretty unpleasant years. <laughs> um, and so it's probably earned the right to take a, a series or two off here and there and do something else. A hat trick for Jason Holder! I think it's, it's less about the popularity of the sport and more about the opportunities for players. If you're a domestic cricketer coming through in West Indies, there's very little opportunity to play test cricket or to make a, a big living out of it. If you're on a central West Indies cricket board contract, it's a reasonable contract. You can make a decent amount of money doing that. But there are very few contracts available, very few spots, um, and there's not a lot of first-class cricket. The first-class sort of domestic system over there doesn't offer a lot of opportunities to play or to be paid particularly well. Whereas if you get one T20 deal from a league that goes for two or three weeks, you might get paid more than you would make in a year as a domestic player in the Caribbean. So that's really the issue is that the lure for players, they have a, a short time on top professionally. And so in that period of time, they've got to make choices about what they can do, what options they have available to them. And those T20 tournaments just offer much more bang for buck. Sounded so sweet. That's the Republic Bank maximum to start things for the Talawas. They've bought, I guess, as a result, an incredibly inexperienced team to face the Aussies in this two-test series, starting in Adelaide. A total of 235 tests between the 15-man squad. They presented a good showing against the Cricket Australia 11 last week, but obviously it's a different calibre of opposition when they come up against, you know, the A-grade attack that the Aussies will go in with. What can we expect from the tourists? Yeah, that's the really difficult part. And most of those 230-odd tests are, are between three of the players <laughs> at Wendy's squad. So there, there are some very inexperienced players, um, a lot of uncapped players in that squad. Uh, and it's going to be a very steep learning curve. I mean, they're, they're starting at Adelaide, which is not the most 
fierce, fast bowling pitch um, in terms of vicious pace or bounce, but it does tend to offer a bit of lateral movement. I mean, we saw Australia bowl out India there for 36 a couple of years ago. Uh, it won't be a pink ball game, so that might help them a little bit. They won't have that sort of difficult evening session to deal with. They will have that to deal with in Brisbane. But I, I think that all they can do is try to take that result out of the warm-up game and say, OK, well, we've had you know a player make 99, a player make 100. Bowlers take wickets, um, you know, chasing a win. Had the, the CO down on that last day. And yes, it's not the same calibre, but all you can do is try to take the opportunity to do something remarkable. But it would take something remarkable for this Wendy's team to compete. Beautiful. beautiful drive. Oh, maybe shot of the day from Calvin Hodge. The West Indies, of course, aren't the only nation focusing on this short form of the game. South Africa are doing the same. Former Australian skipper Steve Waugh posted on social media with a picture of the South African squad set to face New Zealand saying, is this a defining moment in the death of Test cricket? Do you agree? It is a particular specific set of circumstances. The South African board was basically bankrupt a couple of years ago um, on the verge of insolvency. The only way that they could get out of it was to stage this T20 tournament where they sold off the the teams to uh, Indian investors who came in and injected a bunch of cash into the cricket board. And the timing of it, that that league being gone, clashed with this proposed test tour to New Zealand. There's been a lot of blowback about it. And so they're, they're very stung by it. So I think Cricket South Africa uh, they're making it a priority to make sure this doesn't repeat. So I don't think it's necessarily the complete harbinger of doom on that front. Um, but they're playing very little test cricket anyway. And so part of the reason that they won't have clashes in future is because they're playing so few series. They're playing only two matches in a series at a time. Uh, they're playing sort of half a dozen tests a year. And they just can't make that format pay for itself. It's expensive to put on and it doesn't draw crowds in the same way as, as a quick short burst of, of a T20. Again, bowls. He's hit that in the air. Down to long off and over long off into the crowd. So it's part of a much bigger ecosystem problem we've got across the cricketing world where in Australia, England and India, those boards still make money out of staging test cricket and most of the other countries have to spend money staging test cricket. So that's the, the fundamental imbalance is that, that the richest countries make a profit from it and the others don't and the richest countries still haven't been willing to help balance that out. The idea that test cricket is dying is something that's kind of been in the cricketing zeitgeist for a couple of years. Do you believe that it can be saved or do you think we just have to accept that some nations just aren't interested in playing test cricket anymore? The idea that it's dying has been around since the day it was born. Uh, you can go and find <laughs> articles from the early 1900s, from the 1920s, saying that, you know, with all of these new inventions like dice puzzles and so on, the youth of today will not be interested in <laughs> long-form cricket. It's been going on for a very long time. There is interest in it, and I, I think that's... The key is that, and maybe that's something that, that changes as people age, they're more likely to be interested in long-form games. There is a market for it, an audience for it in the long term. It's just that it's struggling for oxygen in an atmosphere where T20 cricket is the easiest thing to put on and the most lucrative thing to put on. And so it's really, a, the existential question is coming from the cricket boards themselves. They're the ones who keep sanctioning T20 tournaments and allowing them to take up the entire calendar. And T20 can be great. It can be a way to fund test cricket if it's kept in balance. And it's like anything in life. If you have too much of one bit and not enough of the other, then things don't work out. But I think players want to play test cricket because they still recognise that that's where they really make a name for themselves as great cricketers. 
it doesn't really matter what you do across a T20 career. Most of it's fairly forgettable. It's a quick sugar high sort of game. People don't remember the feats in short form cricket as much as they remember them in test cricket. And so there is still that sense of it being um, the ultimate form of the game. I, for one, prefer test cricket to dice games. Jeff Lemon, thanks so much for your time. You can, of course, catch every ball of the Australia West Indies test from Adelaide Live and ad free on the ABC Listen app. Jeff, enjoy the cricket. Thanks. Headlines. Alex Dimonor is through to the second round of the Australian Open after his opponent Milos Ranić retired hurt in the third set. Naomi Osaka's return to Melbourne Park lasted less than 90 minutes, losing to Caroline Garcia and Andy Murray was also bundled out in the first round in straight sets. Meanwhile, Egas Fiante got her campaign underway with a victory over Sophia Kennan. As for the other Aussies last night, Rinki Hijikata pushed Jan Leonard Struff all the way to five sets, but eventually lost. And in an all-Aussie affair, Jordan Thompson progressed, knocking out Alexander Vukic in the process. Not without some drama, though. Thompson wasn't happy about the Open's relaxed rules for spectators coming and going between points. While today at the quote workers tournament ever, Max Purcell made it through, but Olivia Gadecki went down to American Sloane Stevens in under an hour. Soccer, and there are reports that almost half of the workers at the Australian professional leagues either have been or will be made redundant this week. The APL is responsible for running both the men's and women's A-leagues. A statement from the APL says after a review, they have, quote, identified significant opportunities to create efficiencies through consolidation. This comes after Unite Round, the football version of NRL's Magic Round and AFL's Gather Round, which saw all games played in Sydney, attracting less than 50,000 people across all games. And in the NFL, Detroit Lions fans are probably still celebrating after their team won a playoff game for the first time in over 30 years. They secured a one-point victory over the LA Rams to win their first postseason match since 1992. One more knee and business is done. And Detroit, for the first time in 32 years, your Lions have won a playoff game. This might give some hope to Essendon fans who have been waiting over 7,000 days for this feeling. I'm Poppy Penny and this is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Joel Cassam. Thanks to Channel 9, NBC, Windies Cricket, the CPL and Fox Sports for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.